The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the storm, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, John. I love when John reads his voice that, like, I told him my kids probably think he's like Darth Vader. It's awesome. Um, Well, Good morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Stacy Croft. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Christ Presbyterian Church Music Room. I'm one of the pastors on staff of our multi-location church and uh, love to get to know you. Um, some of you I'm emailing in the process right now trying to get to know, uh, meet up with you for coffee or lunch. And uh, if I haven't met you, uh, I'd love to meet you. And uh, that's one reason we have everybody sign those black pads as well as uh, for us as a church that's growing. Um, which is wonderful and beautiful uh, for us to continue to, to uh, have intimate uh, connection, relationship, and not only to meet me, but to get to know a lot of other people um, in this church that's uh, really connected in the city. So, you know, one of the things, I have a friend uh, who, uh, his um, motto, and I, I love it, he goes, we should all have a hobby we could die doing. And uh, it's really funny. It made me think of this. He said this back when I was actually... I, did, I only went a handful of times, but I, I, whitewater kayaking. I don't know if any of you do that or have done that. Really fun. Um, I had, ended up having to sell my kayak, so I haven't done it in forever. I've only gone it a couple times, two, three times. But I really miss it. It's one of those things now I kind of wish. Uh, and I went with a certain guy who would take me, and uh, I was not ex- expert enough to go alone. I would probably, you know, I would not come back. But uh, I remember going down a little past Chattanooga and... Um, with this friend and riding down and, and, you know, I had learned to roll, you know, I learned, even took a couple classes at Vandy to do like a kayaking, you know, outdoor rec, you know, class and, and learned how to roll in a swimming pool, which is not exactly like a raging river, uh, but uh, learned how to do that. I was pretty good. I'm pretty calm under the water, but uh, I get to the, the location where we drop in and, you know, it, at first you look at it and it was down near the Hiawassee and uh, now uh, just south of Chattanooga, and, uh, you know, I don't know if you've been down there, some parts are rough, but the part I was going in wasn't, like, crazy, and I remember just looking at it going, this is, this is going to be fun, this is going to be great. Well, I get in my boat, and we get in the water, and I feel a a very different thing than what I was watching. You know, you, 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 I don't know if you've experienced something like this, but you get in, and, and, uh, I started feeling the power of that river, the current, the strength, the movement. And, you know, it's funny, the guy I was, I was talking to, I was like, how do you navigate this, you know, and not be so stiff? And, 
Uh, he said it's kind of like an like a old action figure. You got, you're just, your lower body has to just kind of just go all over the place. And it does. It's crazy. It's like, you know. And I remember at one point I, I rolled, and I was doing fine. I was under the water for a second. I was trying to come back up. And I had a helmet on, thankfully. You have to. I hit a rock. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I came back up, and I was okay. But, man, I had, play, I had and I played contact sports nearly all my life. I had the worst headache all the way home, two, three hours drive home, that rock, and I wasn't even going that fast. And I'll tell you, the, the respect I had going the next time to go whitewater kayaking was totally different. You know, at first I'm thinking, oh, this would be easy, it's like canoeing, but it's just attached to me, uh-uh. And the way my head felt, the way I had to look at that water, I mean, it was like something different, and, and <laughs> I loved it, but I was totally afraid of it. We're reading a passage, and I don't know if you're familiar with Mark. Uh, Mark's gospel is, is considered the first one ever written historically. And that Mark actually penned his gospel following the apostle Peter and hearing his accounts. And so when you read this, you hear about specific things, like in verse 36 it says, uh, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. What a weird thing to say. And other boats were with him. And then there was a cushion, like these little bitty details that are kind of like, why would, why would that be written in there? It's to let you know this is a firsthand account. There's some detail in here. This is, a, this is an eyewitness report. And Mark wants us to know that what, what this was really like is Peter, you can imagine Peter describing this to Mark. Can you imagine what it would have been like on the boat? Now, I don't know if you've encountered something before and maybe you're in the midst of it now where it's something you think you can manage, but it's really out of your control. It could be something that, that's kind of funny or like a sport or something like that, but what, what I really think is interesting are the things that we really f- believe we can manage, and they drum up so much fear, and yet we really think if we put our shoulder down, I, I This is one of my biggest struggles. I think if I put my shoulder down and I run hard enough, I can actually take care of it. That it's manageable. I don't think they're yelling at Jesus even in this passage saying, hey, do you even care? Because they know if they ask him, he's going to stop the storm. They obviously don't know that. They're just saying, hey, do you care? Will you join us here? I mean, these are professional fishermen, some of them. They've been in this water before. They need some help. But I think the point is, what are those things ultimately that you think are really manageable, but they're not? And your, your fear runs your life because you have to have this in place or this person needs to be calm or needs to run your life. What control do you give in that? Because that's what this passage is about. Can you imagine the experience of Peter being on this boat? Because here's what happens. Here's the, here's the headliner. They are freaking out a bit because they're in a, in a storm, and yet what happens by the end of this? They're not as scared of the storm. They're scared about what's in the boat. They realize there's something much bigger than them at, at bay here. There's something that is far bigger than this storm they think they can manage. It's something they can't. If there are two things that this passage is really telling us, it's fear and faith. Simple things, fear and faith. The fear about what controls us and what is and what healthy fear is and really what 
what does that have to do with our faith? Because we bring fear in here. It's not, it's, not, it's not a question of whether you're afraid. It's the fact that you have fear. What are you doing with it? And what should you be afraid of? And how does it impact how you really grow as a Christian? Maybe you're here this morning and this is new to you. Maybe this is something from this passage and maybe even reading from this. Maybe you're not, wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or you're coming back into the church. I would love your thoughts and think through what is it that controls you? Let's talk about the fear right? The fear of this, because the present reality in this passage is that the Sea of Galilee, where they were, sat about 700 feet below sea level, and then had these giant cascades on either side. So imagine this huge bowl it sat in. So when a storm came, it wasn't like a normal thing that would just blow across a lake. It would come down and sit and just kind of explode within this bowl, and then somehow dissipate over the time. And these guys were fishermen, okay? They, they had been there before. They had seen storms. They had developed. It was a part of even their, their daily routine at times. I'm sure their profession was impacted by it. But a little caveat to what it was like for a Jewish person to see water was a little different. In their minds, they viewed water as something that was chaotic. This would recall to them their, the history of even far back to the very beginning in what we call Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, where where the water is chaotic and God is having to calm it. So when they, when they encounter water, when they encounter storms, it's more than just, oh, this is something rough. They see it as something that they can't tame. It's something bigger than themselves, something to control. But at the same time, they're fishermen, right? They're supposed to navigate this. So even with all their past, all the things, the ancient view of kind of the sea being unmanageable, you can think about Peter recalling this night and even the details, like I said, in here. But, but here's the thing. Their fear, as, as you read this passage, in verse 41 it says, and they were filled with great fear, and it talks about why, he says, why are you so afraid? That's what we typically can think of in Christianity. Is that, okay, once I become the Christian, a follower of Jesus then the way I view fear is something that's kind of like, I, don't, I shouldn't have fear. And when I feel afraid, I'm, I'm not being a good Christian for it. I was sitting there watching, our kids went to sleep the other night, and Megan and I, you know, Megan fell asleep, we were watching TV, and she fell asleep next to me, and I started watching, geeking out and watching uh, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. I'm just starting to get, they're replaying them all, you know, and it's just going crazy. But it's interesting in watching those movies again, all the old and new ones, because the whole point of the beginning, when we used to watch them, the old ones, they talk about, you must master your fear. A Jedi never ha- is afraid, you know? <laughs> like, that's the whole point of Darth Vader. I remember my little boy running in. He actually woke up and came in. He goes, is that Darth Vader? Are you watching Star Like, you couldn't believe I was watching Star Wars without him. They, like, had this conversation. Let's <laughs> talk about a nerd. And, uh, and, and what was interesting about it is to, re- is to, to watch those and to think that's actually what we think of as Christians. We think we shouldn't be afraid that we're some sort of religious, like followers of Jesus, Jesus Jedis, that they're supposed to be that thing. Why is it that we've attached fear to sin? It's not that we shouldn't experience fear. It's where does the fear drive us? That's the issue. Notice they're in this boat 
And the problem isn't that they're afraid, that there's a storm that they're afraid. And Jesus isn't rebuking why are you so afraid about the storm. It's where it drives them to. Where they think they can manage the control. Isn't that what it is? It's control. What is the control, the, the thing we run to that we think if we get this in our life, we will have, we'll be able to manage it. Isn't that what we were just talking about with Marie Kondo? Like if we have everything straight, if we have everything just tidied up right, we will feel as though we are doing things well. That is not how life works and we know it. We can never have full control. And we're all always either looking in control to, to either take it and try and find, isn't that true? What are the places that you find right now that are, you know in your life that you don't have control, and so what do we do? We immediately find places where we can control in order to feel about the, better about the places where we can't. And so we give it to that. And not only that, what are the, not only are we trying to gain control and grasp it and to manage our fears in that way, who are the people and things that we give control to to help us in our fear? And what's the, maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe there's a child. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a, a, a political party. What is it? What is it that you look to? And, and, and ultimately, isn't this where many of our addictions come out of, many of our struggles come out? It comes out of us giving something, maybe be alcohol, pornography, something else, to manage our fears because we want, some be, to, we want to be in control. And we were saying, hey, I'll give you control if you can manage this fear. See, it's not the fear that's so bad. Where are you going with it? What do you do with it? I think this is an interesting quote by Jerry Rice, who, if you don't know who Jerry Rice is, he was probably the most prolific wide receiver in all of football. That pains me to say as a Dallas Cowboy fan to even say that about somebody from the San Francisco 49ers. But he is amazing. If you look up records in the NFL, you will see he holds pretty much every one of them. I mean, in, in terms of wide receiver touchdowns, I mean, it's insane. When he was inducted to the Hall of Fame, this is, this is like the Tom Brady of wide receivers. Sorry if that offends some of you Patriot haters. Listen to what he said. He's being inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's got his jacket on. They've pulled the little veil off the bust of his face. And here he is. Everything is, is uh, you know, he's giving his speech. And this is what he says. My single regret about my career is I never took time to enjoy it. I was always working. I was afraid to fail. The fear of failure is the engine that has driven me my entire life. The reason they never caught me from behind is because I ran scared. People always are surprised how insecure I was. The doubts, the struggles is who I am. How honest. That's confession. If, if we want to be real about what our fear is, we need to be honest with the fact that this is who we are. Not trying to give it to everything else or everyone else to help us solve that. And this is what they're doing. It, we think it's manageable. We think we can manage our fear. We think we can do it. Are we really that powerful? 
What is your default? When you experience fear, what is your default? What is the person? What is the thing? What is the, the, the group? What, is the, the, what do you read when you're finding fear? When you encounter it? When you brush up against it? Do you default to positions of power for yourself? What is it? Uh, we could go on and on about that. Where is it that you feel like you need to be able to say, I got this. Hold my beer. I got this. Where, where do you feel like you do that? One of the best books I've ever read on, on fear, and, and I'm, everyone, I've told some of you this, every one of you should read this if you haven't. It's called Cry of the Soul. By two, two guys named Dan Allender and Trimper Longman. One's a psychologist, one's a seminary professor. And they literally lay out healthy and unhealthy fear. They walk through the Psalms, incredible book. Listen to what they say about fear. Fear is our response to uncertainty about our resources in the face of danger when we are assaulted by a force that overwhelms us and compels us to face that we are helpless and out of control. Fear is provoked when the threat of danger, physical or relational, exposes our inability to preserve what we most deeply cherish. The water's coming in the boat. They're trying to pull it out, right? It's unmanageable. The circumstances are beyond. And it exposes theirs and exposes ours inability to navigate it. Inability. And when we do, and when we feel that fear, what do we run to? And the ultimate question we ask in that, really, here's the deep question, is am I valuable? A am I really loved? Isn't that what we really want answered? Even if the thing is still there, even if the great fears there, is, is it, it forces us to ask the question, am I really loved? Am I really valuable? There was an article on Netflix, a really interesting one, I don't know if you ever read this, it's called the Netflix Culture of Fear. It's about how, what it's like to work at Netflix. Listen to this. At Netflix, the workplace culture can be ruthless and demoralizing. <clears throat> said a couple of authors from the Wall Street Journal. The Silicon Valley-based streaming giant counts radical information such as viewer numbers are Netflix, for Netflix shows, about 500 executives. They can see the salaries of every staffer. And they have the same transparency that applies to evaluating performance. The company encourages team dinners, listen to this, team dinners, where everyone goes around and gives feedback and criticism about others at the table. It's like a Festivus kind of thing. For <laughs> Managers are encouraged to regularly apply a keeper test. A keeper test to their staff, asking themselves over and over whether they would fight to keep a given employee and firing those for whom the answer is no. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings uses the keeper test himself and last year fired one of the company's first employees, a close friend for decades. Some employees, though, see this as a test covering the ordinary workplace politics and fringes as, but fringes on callous. Listen to this. Other employees looked away, fearing that the helping would put a target on their back. Isn't that how we live? What, what a, 
What a great metaphor of what it's like to be us. We live with this tension of, am I next? Is there a target on my back? This fear that we have, whether it's with our work, our families, our friendships, we're constantly asking the question, how can I keep control so that I know I'm safe? Isn't that what we're trying to do to overcome our fear? But here's the, here's the kicker about what's different about this, that it connects. This is why we're even here. What does it have to do with Christianity? Because it'd be easy to say, here's fear, Jesus is better, go for it. But that's not what he does in this passage. See, he connects it to their faith. And this is what he says. He says, peace be still to the storm. And then he says in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The actual Greek language of what he's saying there isn't have you faith. And when we read that, we think, gosh, I need more of it. Or it needs to be better. The actual Greek of that is where is your faith? In other words, it's the positioning. It's the focus. For most of us, we think Christianity, and maybe you're here again this morning and exploring, re-exploring Christianity or the church. And a part of that is Asking the question is, okay, is faith in Jesus like, do I need to come back to him? Do I need to have more faith? Do I need to have, do I need to kind of like pump more faith quarters into my relationship with God? Do I have to, to have it pure? Do I need to like rid myself? Is this like a New Year's resolution of how I have relationship with Christ? It's not at all. What he's asking is, where is it? He's not saying in the boat, hey, do you have faith enough that this storm is going to go by? He's saying, no, where is the direction of your focus? He's asking where it is. That's what faith is. And he doesn't even say, don't have fear. He's saying, where's your focus in the midst of the fear? See, we could read this and they could just say, we just didn't have it that day. We just didn't have faith that day. It was a hard day. But it's more than that. Is that what the the disciples didn't have? It wasn't that they didn't have it that day. They've been in storms before. Did they have more faith on those days than this day? No, they were looking to Jesus, and Jesus uses the opportunity to say, it's not about having enough. It's about where is it? Look at me. See, fear reveals where your faith lies. Even if you're here and you would say, I don't know if I'm a Christian or not, Your fear, what you're most afraid of, if you pull the rocks over of your fear and you look underneath, that's where you put your trust. I love, I asked Shelby this earlier. I'm sorry to point her out for a moment. But I love, I was asking, I was noticing when she was doing the song, when she was translating that, and she used the word trust. And and the word trust, she was showing me, is this. It's like a a gripping. Isn't that a beautiful picture for us? That is what it is. What do we grip onto? What is it? That is your faith. You have faith. Every one of you. Whether you would say, I follow Jesus or I do not. But what is it that you have faith in? Where is your faith? That's what Jesus is asking. And it's always connected to your fear. And here's the thing about this passage. is fascinating. <laughs> Immediately, He awoke, and they said to him um, in verse 38, he's asleep on the cushion, and they wake him up. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, 
peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. You hear this? Jesus is scarier than the storm. The the, the language being used here of what it was like to actually for him to say, be calm, be still, was language of him saying, I'm going to muzzle you. It actually is literally him saying, I'm muzzling this wild animal. He's showing himself to be the alpha over the storm. There there was a a German theologian in the 19th century named uh, Rudolf Otto. I don't know if you've heard of him before. He spoke about this kind of fear that the disciples has as as what was called a noumenal awe. In in other words, that that there's a type of fear that's different than just we're afraid of something every day, you know. Um, That there's a fear of encountering something that's so worldly other that it both attracts us and terrifies us. We kind of know this. and This is what Rudolf Otto talked about in what was called the mysterious fear, noumenal awe. He said we, you would have a, a stupor, kind of a blank wonder and astonishment. There was a, a shuddering, like that we're literally shaken to our core, held speechless. There's a creature consciousness that you're very aware of yourself as someone who's small in the moment. And then even the sense of unworthiness and a need to cover oneself. That when we encounter something, and and sometimes we encounter these kind of moments. Maybe it's someone who's incredibly powerful or someone we've been around or something that we've been around. And and to the degree that that thing is greater is to the degree you experience some of those things, right? Like you experience this creature consciousness. You experience your over-awareness of yourself when you see someone or around someone that may hold a, that's either famous or someone that you hold dear that you, that you just, it, it really forces you to that. But th- this is what they're, they're experiencing though is that there's someone in this boat with them that is far greater than the storm. To the degree that they think they can manage the storm, the one in the boat, there is no way to manage. And in fact, so much so that does Jesus show himself in this Greek of muzzling, and it says in the Greek, not only does he muzzle the storm, that he keeps the muzzle on. That's actually the, the tense of the Greek, is that he muzzles this animal and he keeps it on and shows himself to be the alpha in that moment that they cannot believe that they were filled with great fear, that they were deeply aware of their conscience. That this voice of one who's so strong and so powerful that he can, he can shut the storm's mouth. And here's the question. Is this the Jesus that you know? Or is he the one that we want to manage? See, here's the interesting thing. We think Jesus is far more manageable. This is saying he's not. We want to put Jesus in a place and in a position in our lives that we can manage him so that he can work work us out of our problems and fears. But what he's saying to you is he's not here just to minimize your fear. He's here to maximize himself over your fear. 
He's far scarier than anything you're dealing with. And that's a beautiful thing. Because if, here's the thing, if we, if we worship, if, this, if the whole point of us being in church today is to worship someone who just kind of comes alongside us, we can manage, that helps us deal with maybe some struggles here or there, that we can kind of manage Jesus the way we want him to. If he really is that, it's not worth being here. He's not worth someone to worship. If he's not bigger than our fears, then what's the point? He must show himself as far bigger than our fears. He must show himself as the alpha in the boat. Can you imagine sitting there in that boat and particularly hearing Peter describe this? That Jesus came as he was. And he shows, he sees the storm and he's been a part of these storms before and all of a sudden the storm just stops and they all just turn and look at the one who just said, be still. Be calm. Stop. Jesus cannot and will not be a part of your life to just be managed. He's not a part of that. That's not why Jesus is in the boat. He even leads him in that. I remember when I was young and my mom was trying to teach me not to cross the street. And she walks me up to a squirrel that had been totally crushed by a truck or car. And she said, hey, see that squirrel? Probably shouldn't go in the street. That'll happen to you. Okay, helpful in some regard, but what did I start learning? Oh, it's up to me to be safe. See, he's scarier than the storm, but he's far safer than the storm. See, I still think that he's scarier, but I still need to protect myself. It's up to me. And if that's true, then we're missing it all the more. Look, he is scarier than the storm, but he is far more safe and merciful than it. The reason we go back to things and people and places and whatever it is to give control is because we don't think Jesus, we think, okay, he's scarier, but it's too scary to bring to him. We need to own it. He's not our co-pilot. He's not there to manage it. He's the one we go to with safety. I was reading last night, and I do this from time to time with my kids to read from what's the Jesus Storybook Bible written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And before you think, oh, the pastor reads the Bible every night to his kids, I don't. Uh, when I do, sometimes I read it more for me <laughs> than them because I love reading from that. Uh, I read this passage to my youngest last night, and the thing that she writes in there that I love, Sally Lloyd-Jones, when it came for him to say, be still, she says, and the storm recognized his voice. Of course it did, because it had heard him before. As if there's this tender, like, Jesus talking to a small child. Be still. Be calm. It recognize, not only does Jesus recognize, uh, the storm recognize Jesus' voice. If, if, if the storm, this storm, this powerful natural event 
of creation recognizes uh, Jesus' voice, how much more do you think Jesus recognizes your voice when you cry out to Him? In all the places and ways that you think that He could never, how does He know and reach into the ways that you think, oh, I could never be safe with Him. I could never let Him know what's going, really going on in me. The fears that you think are so big that He couldn't ever reach into, if He's just scarier and not safer, then what does it mean? He has to be safer. Because He's the only one that does what we can't. Here's the irony of this passage. The disciples say this to Jesus. They say, don't you care if we're perishing? How would Jesus answer that question? Does Jesus care if we're perishing? Is it enough for him to stop the storm? Or does he care so much that we might perish that he puts himself down? He doesn't just stop the storm, he takes it. That's what this table is. See, those fears and those ways that you think God could never really be that big. I need to manage my sin and I need to manage Jesus in that. I need to have like a a, a co-working with Jesus to work with my sin, the things in my life that no one needs to know that are my secrets, my problems. If Jesus calms the storm, if, if the storm recognizes his voice, he recognizes your heart. He recognizes your voice. He can calm it. And even the things that he doesn't stop right away, what does he do? He enters in and he says, don't you care if if we're perishing? Yes. I give my body and blood because without it you will perish. Come to this table today. Come to this table Not if you think you can manage him, but because you're a mess. Because your life, your fears, they run you. Come and taste the table that says, be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. This table is a a table of focus on faith in Christ, away from your fears. Not that those things don't exist, but to remind you again that he maximizes himself and doesn't necessarily just minimize your fear. He shows himself greater. If you're here this morning, and maybe you think you can still manage it. Maybe you're thinking, Jesus is great, but like, I really think this is kind of all on my shoulders. I'd encourage you not to take of this table. I'd encourage you to to either remain in your seat or come forward, fold your hands, receive prayer. Think and contemplate on what this table means. Don't come forward and take it just because everybody else does. That's not what it's for. Come to this table knowing you can't manage it. Knowing the only one that can speak into your life with his voice and say, be still. That's why we come to this table. Let's stand now.